Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. It's the Pledge Drive. This is a Pledge Drive special edition of Access Utah. And my special guest for the hour is former UPR program director and Access Utah host Lee Austin. We're going to reach into the archives for parts of interviews Lee conducted with writer Gore Vidal and former Utah Poet Laureate Ken Brewer. We'll also hear a portion of a special broadcast on the history of Capitol Reef National Park. We're going to talk about the history of Access Utah and the programs that preceded it. It's uh, 65 years of great radio is the theme of the uh, Pledge Drive this time around. And, of course, we're inviting you to pledge your support to UPR to ensure that Access Utah and all the programming you value continues uh, strong. So, Lee, it's uh, a pleasure to welcome you in. Well, it's a bit strange to be, uh, I guess you'd say, on the other side of the mic uh, but it's been a great run. I still, of course, listen down in Wayne County. Today's kind of a Wayne County extravaganza. Don Gomes, a neighbor, is, uh, was on earlier. And we have a listener challenge from a Wayne County listener. Uh, during Access Utah, every pledge will be matched up to $500. And... Uh, that would net us $1,000 during the program, which would be most helpful. Wow, that would be wonderful. So let's, let's, uh, let's do it. Let's do it. 1-800-826-1495 or online at upr.org. And uh, Katie may open the door and hand us in some acknowledgments. We'd love to uh, hear from our listeners. By the way, if, if someone wants to... Join us with a phone call. Are we taking calls this morning? Yes, 800-826-1495. Yes, yes, we are. So when you call the number, there may be some confusion about whether it's a pledge or, or a call, right. but we'll, we'll get it sorted out yeah. either way. Um, yes, um, so when you were a student here before you were... I, I was for, for several years, and um, I, I don't remember... What year? What year. It was the late 90s. Um, and I remember you approached me and said, would you have any interest in doing radio interviews? And you did, and that was a good thing. Um, I started here in 1980. To just offer a little perspective back then, we were a local station. The transmitter was here on campus. Um, we covered the valley pr- pretty good. We did Logan City Council meetings live, and uh, we Morning edition had just barely come on the air. It was it was less than a year old when I joined the station, and my job was to record, run out and record 10-minute segments that we could drop in into morning edition wherever we could fit it in. Uh, we did a few calls. We, we somehow got set up with uh, our U.S. senators, so Jake Garn and Orrin Hatch would call regularly and our congressman, when I arrived here, was a Democrat. Can you name that person? <laughs> the congressman. Was it Gunn McKay? Yes, it was. Yeah, those the, those were the days, right? Yeah. <laughs> Scott Matheson, a Democrat, yeah. mm-hmm. was the governor of Utah. So I was running around doing recorded content for uh, Morning Edition, and then eventually we decided that we'd need to... Uh, we've always emphasized local content to match uh, national public radio. So it's been it's been a fun ride. And uh, started up with various programs, right? I think first was professors we have, coming in. Uh, Professor Claude Burtonshaw hosted, I think it was monthly. I don't think it was weekly. It might have been weekly. Uh, I came up with the worst title in radio history, uh, called it Conduit. <laughs> conduit. Because we were providing a conduit to 
But anyway, he did that for many, many years. Uh, William Lye, who used to be a, a professor of history and became vice president for uh, university relations, uh, I believe that was monthly for, for a very long time. We had uh, Saracen Clare and Bartel Cardin came in, and re- that was a weekly. Um, these may have all been weekly. I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm old. I'm as old as the station is, so I, I, I can't claim to have the best memory. Mm-hmm. But it, it was all fun to do. Yeah. Uh, looking the, through the index, uh, selecting, you know, it's hard to select. Uh, a lot of great programs that you did. And a lot of them aren't available. I, the last yeah. I heard, they're in, on cassettes in a, in a storage un- unit. Unsorted in boxes at the storage yes. unit. Yes. But, but once we started getting it on CD, that's when I had <laughs> access to it. Uh, uh, in the index, I, I saw September 11th, 1995 was the first program titled Access Utah. And you know who came up with that title? No. It was our engineer then, Cliff Smith. Cliff Smith did. Yeah. Uh, we were kicking around. For some reason, it's a lot easier to do a program than to come up with a name for it. Yeah. And we were kicking things around. And Cliff Smith, who, d- who did many things, including uh, on-air fund drives, uh, came up with that title. Wow. Um, so before we go to, I want to get to uh, Gore Vidal here, but uh, do you, any anybody else come to mind? I know Mick Fleetwood would be... I was one of the last ones. Good guess. Uh, Yes, I I got a a free meal and got to sample his wine and got 15 minutes with uh, Mick Fleetwood of Fleetwood Mac. But they were, you know, it's been a long run. Um, We've both interviewed Terry Tempest Williams. Yes. Uh, First time I interviewed her was really before she was on the national radar. Uh, The book was called Coyote Clan, and it's it's been a long running. It's always fun. Um, I, I I lost yeah. count of the number of times that I've had a chance to to interview Terry Tempest Williams. Yeah, she and she's so great. She she is so good that she makes me feel like a the best interviewer in the world. She's and then she gives you a big hug. And then she gives you a hug. Yeah, yeah. So she's <laughs> we love Terry Tempest Williams. Uh, well, let's uh, uh, first of all the numbers again eight hundred eight two six one four nine five eight hundred eight two six one four nine five or uh, upr.org, upr.org. And uh, we would love to fully maximize this $500 listener challenge. So you pledge $20, that's $40 because of this listener. Uh, typically, and it, it explains, uh, I'm, people have probably gone to work or are, are there, we don't have as many listeners in the 9 o'clock hour, regardless of what we do, as we do in the 7 o'clock hour. So it's a little harder to fundraise. They've never dedicated, they still haven't dedicated a mug, an Access Utah mug. How many years have we encouraged our development department to create a a special thank you gift around this program? And they they still haven't done it. They have a wonderful mug. But, to honor the 65 years, it's not access use time. Well, perhaps if we get this thousand dollars, five hundred maximized with with your money, then uh, the powers that be will listen. Yes, at long last. <laughs> and in any case, we'll continue the programming strong. Uh, I want to. Uh, this is on uh, an email that went out uh, so earlier. Uh, think today, Stephen Trimble, our friend Stephen Trimble. Oh yes, uh, he says. Um, Tom Williams and Access Utah add greatly to the community conversation, especially in rural Utah. So, thanks, Stephen. Uh, I can't recall the first. It was one of many books um, uh, that he was either the photographer or also the photographer and writer. But, yeah, I've had a chance to interview him. And, of course, he has a home in uh, in or just 
next to Tory. So, yeah, yeah it's it's a Wayne Wayne County uh, extravaganza. Here. It's been a Wayne County day. Let's continue this. Uh, a, a generous listener has set up a challenge for Access Utah. So this hour only five hundred dollars. And uh, what happens? You call, and your money is doubled. And uh, we'll match pledges um, today in the program up to $500. So if you were going to call and support Access Utah, now's the time to do so. Uh, If you go online to upr.org, you won't have, I mean, it would be fun to take a call from a listener who maybe was a guest on this program, either when I was hosting or you were hosting or we co-hosted uh, a couple of programs. Uh, it may get picked up at Pledge Central, and, and they may first ask you for money, but yeah. we, we could we could work that in as well. We but would love that. We would love it. 1-800-826-1495. Anyway, I was just going to quickly, not, not to drag you and the listeners through the whole story, but in 1980 when I came here, first of all, when I called to request an interview, I had to explain what we were. NPR was not nearly as well known. In fact, you had to say National Public Radio, and we're the station that's uh, located up at Utah State University, and we have these great programs called All Things Considered. And and it was kind of hard to convince people that they'd want to take some time out to, to be a guest on this uh, this local station that had this weird programming on called NPR, National Public Radio. And increasingly through the years, that changed, and it became it became cachet when you call uh, a potential author or uh, a substantially recognized individual. We, we grabbed a lot of them that came to Utah State University to speak, usually sponsored by someone else, uh, and it really began to become, um, there was almost a competition to get on this program. Mm-hmm. It was it was much easier to find guests. Once uh, I started doing book interviews, uh, the publishers would send me review copies uh, in advance. And I still have boxes of books yeah. uh, in storage from, from those years. And... Uh, Typically, what would happen is I would uh, see an announcement that a well-known writer was going to be speaking somewhere in Utah, and then I call, find the phone number for the publicist, call the publicist, explain who we are, and near the end, I'd just say, we're the NPR station, and mm-hmm. that, that that was enough. And um, I got to interview people like uh, Isabel Allende. That's right. Uh, Amy Tan, uh, of course, Terry Tempest Williams several times. And one of the more bizarre things that happened. Do you have the year on this with the Gore Vidal? Uh, yes. Let me uh, let me get that here. Any uh, two thousand six. Okay. Um, I have no idea how this happened, but I got a call from the publicist. I didn't call them. They called me. Gore Vidal was not traveling. He was not in the state. He really had nothing uh, particularly connected to the state. Uh, although I remember he he did make an interesting <laughs> observation or two uh, about the state of Utah. And we, we, tr- we were trying to have it, it was Access Utah. We wanted to have some connection with Utah. And if you were an author coming through the state, that was enough. But when they said, do you want to interview Gore Vidal, what the heck? That's right. You you interview Gore Vidal. And it's, it's, you know, it sounded, listening to it, it sounds like a fun interview 
Um, and and it's Gore Vidal. It's you know if you know Gore Vidal, it's, uh, this was. <laughs> if you don't, if you know, you'll you'll get to know him here. He, he's uh, was I believe he yeah died uh, several years ago. I think he was quite old here. In in this case, it was a book re-releasing some of his earlier stuff, so it wasn't uh, brand new original stuff. He ran for mayor of New York City, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was very controversial. Um, but quite the raconteur. He was a guest on uh, The Tonight Show with probably Jack Parr. Mm-hmm. Um, and and a, and a great writer. He has lots of well-known books. Yeah. And those epic battles with William F. Buckley. That was yes, 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 yeah. yes. Uh, so, yeah, let's hear a portion of the interview Lee Austin did, 2006, with the inimitable Gore Vidal. Although you write to the contrary in the first chapter, I still have the feeling that I am talking to a famous novelist. Well, I suppose there are those who think I am, and I shall not discourage them. But, uh, no, when I said uh, I used to be a famous novelist, which I say to usually Japanese uh, journalists, and uh, they said, well, you know, you're still read, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. As if that made any difference, I said, look, here we are confronted with grammar. There's an adjective called famous. To be famous, you must be known to the marketplace, to the agora. I'm speaking now of Athens, the past. And famous and novelist are inappropriate. They don't go together. That's all I meant. You could be a famous boxer, be a famous tennis player, it can be a famous all sorts of things. Novelist? Nobody gives a damn. That's what I was saying. But uh, the TV talk shows and, uh, dare I say, national public radio, which were a part, are filled with authors flogging books. And uh, I didn't know until I, I read this uh, Perhaps you were among the first to do that. Not on The Tonight Show, and I'd like to ask you about that, but on the uh, Today Show with Hugh Downs. Thank God you mentioned Hugh Downs. He was a great guy. Uh, I was, yes, I, was, I, I early on suspected the power of uh, television. And I was asked on by Hugh Downs regularly. There was a period in which... Uh, You'd go on with you. He, he did the Today Show. And uh, he'd just sit there and we'd talk casually with the New York Times, the world's worst newspaper, if you want to record that for Utah. <laughs> and the world's worst newspaper between us. We'd pick up pieces and we'd talk about them. And you know, we were so popular. I mean, the Today Show made a fortune whenever Hugh Downs was interviewing me. They got a lot of audience because what interested us, and we were chatting about the Republic, chatting about things people were talking about, minimum wage, this or that. And he had a charming sense of humor, and I think I have a certain degree of humor. And the two of us had a huge audience. And if anybody's listening in Utah, ask for Hugh Downs and Vidal back. Well, and uh, un- unfortunately, we can't get uh, Johnny Carson back. 
No, he is going to his reward. But it was a great reward, and he was the first person who introduced America to satire. Americans, you know, are not a humorous people. It was Carson who trained us during the monologue to adjust to satire. And I was over a hundred times on his program. And in my new book, I thought the world would like to know what he was really like, you know, the usual sort of, well, well tell me about Elizabeth Tanner, what was she really like? I don't know anything about her, but I certainly know about Johnny Carson. I said, I said well, somebody reminded me today that I wrote in the book, he was better looking than he looked on television. I said, what? did you mean by that? After all, television is you know, who you are. I said he was a very handsome man, but he was a comic. Comics are always kind of ugly because they're comedians. They're funny. Once you're funny, you don't look too good. That's all I was saying. I thought that would be immediately understood. A hundred times on Carson? I think more. You and, couldn't check it. Well, not only that, I'm sure I've seen it. I mean, I grew up watching Johnny Carson. Well, you grew up watching me. There is a remarkable photograph in the book of Eleanor Roosevelt and John F. Kennedy. And Isn't that wild? He, he looks... the funniest photograph I've ever seen. She looks like she's shaking her fist, and he looks nervous. Well, he should be. She didn't think she had power, but she had a lot of power. Oh, indeed she did. How do you like that photograph of her and Jack in my book? It was a week after Jack had been elected president, and he hated her. And she is, uh, she's got a kind of furry coat on, and I, I did a long caption about the picture. It was a bad meeting, and I asked Jack about it, and then I asked uh, Ms. Roosevelt about it, and she said, well... He's very charming, old friend. Uh, 
she pretended that she'd lost the name, and suddenly there, there we were. And then I said, well, what do you think? Because she hated him for his father. I said, that's unfair. Are you to be held responsible for the sins of your uncle, Theodore Roosevelt? She, she sought the justice of that. And, uh, boy, that uh, I, I forgot most of that. It's been uh, many, many years since we recorded that. And obviously, uh, Gore Vidal was in his advanced years, uh, but hadn't lost any of it. And uh, really... Uh, uh, Interesting guy. Again, that interview on Access Utah from nineteen uh, from uh, two thousand six. Two thousand six. Yeah. Um, and it illustrates that Gore Vidal knew everybody. Yeah, right. pretty it's, much. It's, it's pretty much. Yeah. A uh, great raconteur, as as evidenced by the, all those appearances on the Tonight Show, and a uh, uh, good writer. Yeah, and um, so. By that time, NPR was pretty much known, and uh, it, it became much easier to find uh, notable guests. Uh, that one just came out of the blue. It reminded me a little bit of uh, the musician, uh, most people know him as Dr. John. Uh, his name is Mac Rebenack, and he lives down in New Orleans, and he was doing a concert up here. And I called to uh, request an interview, and they arranged a time. And I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure you've heard some of his songs, but his speaking voice sounded a lot like Gore, except a a little lower and much slower. (laughs) And it's the first time I used the software in the editing program that we use that compresses time compresses without changing pitch because it was just painfully slow <laughs> to listen to it. <laughs> and even when I sped it up using the software, it, it uh, took quite a while for him mm. to, to finish. But uh, that that was still fun to talk to him <laughs> because talk about uh, someone who knows everybody in, in the music world. Uh, this guy who was a studio musician and then uh, became a performer in his own right. And then he assumed the name of uh, Dr. John, um, yeah, everybody knows him. He knows everybody. Yeah. You've had a chance to interview a lot of great uh, musicians and, and characters. Uh, Utah Phillips. You Many, many times. Interviewed Utah Phillips. And uh, if we have time, probably won't have time, but we we may have time to get to uh, Rosalie Sorrell's. I have a little excerpt there. Um, but interviewed her as well and, yep. and many, many others. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I should do this or you should do this. Who's, who's the host here? Go, go, go ahead. Go okay. Ahead. <laughs> it's the first day of Utah Public Radio's pledge drive. We had uh, tremendous support during morning edition. It was kind of the Wayne County twofer, Don Gomes on the phone, uh, and Leo Austin up here in studio, and I live there most of the time now, but I'm up visiting and taking care of a few things here, so it was fun to come in. But uh, we wanted to step it up during Access Utah. We'd like to see... Uh, uh, you know, some nice pledges during the program. So we found a uh, Wayne County listener who stepped up with a $500 donation. That's a challenge, meaning every dollar that you pledge is matched up to $500. Uh, To do that, easiest way online, if you're near a computer, upr.org online, and uh, or give us a call, 1-800-826-1495. Katie Swain came and passed us word that we're we're close to meeting that goal. 
thank you to uh, Valerie Fuller. A uh, big thank you to UPR for covering and bringing amazing news coverage and fun local stories. And a listener in Teasdale who chooses not to be identified but by name, but if you're listening, you know who you are. We've done very well by Teasdale, um, but it doesn't really matter where you live. If you're listening, we'd like your support. So, uh, Tori Bicknell... Loa, Moab, Moab, Logan. It doesn't have to be Wayne County, although we, no. we've we've had a we've had a, a strong Wayne County presence today. And thank you for that, all our Wayne County listeners. Keep it coming, uh, but you don't have to be a Wayne County resident to uh, to to help us to match this. We're getting closer, but we're not there yet. So uh, let's let's keep this up. That's that's the word. Um, so let's see, what did you have next here? Uh, let's let's take a break and then we'll do do that. Um, we have uh, Ken Brewer, so we'll, we'll okay. talk about we'll talk about Ken Brewer yeah. uh, following this break. I am desperately trying to get out of the way of that massive, massive oil tanker. Did I mention, by the way, that I am sitting rowing in a bathtub? Join us next time for stories of crossing the English Channel, motherhood, and secret agents. That's the Moth Radio Hour from PRX. Join us Saturday night at 6 on Utah Public Radio. It's a medicine show mix of healing and elixirs about music and mending body and spirit from disease and disaster. With bluesman Little Freddie King, jazz clarinetist Dr. Michael White, and rocker Anders Osborne. Plus songs of sobriety and self-medication. I'm Nick Spitzer. Join me for American Roots from PRX. Join us Saturday night at 8 on Utah Public Radio. Thank you for uh, tuning in to Access Utah. Tom Williams with you, and I'm very pleased to have uh, with me for the hour uh, the former host of this program, uh, Lee Austin. And we're hearing uh, some interviews that, uh, portions of interviews that Lee did. And uh, it's the fun drive. I should say here at the beginning of this segment that we do repeat the program. And so if you look at the clock and it's 7.30 instead of 9.30, uh, we'll don't still call. take your pledge. We'll still online. take your pledge online, upr.org, upr.org. Right now, though, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or upr.org. And Lee, an, an exciting listener challenge. $500 uh, only during this hour of Access Utah, which means if you pledge uh, $20, uh, it is matched by an additional $20, up to $500. And we're on the other side of the building, so we can't see whether people are taking calls right now. Um, Katie will probably pass a slip in or let us know if we've we've hit that goal. But it would be fun to uh, to do some good to support uh, these these programs during Access Utah. I had so much fun doing this for so long that it. Uh, there were times when I felt like I, I should pay yeah. to have this privilege, and you you probably had days like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd feel the same way. It's it's not a bad gig. I, you know, some well, every day you feel a bit of pressure, you feel performance anxiety, but it's it's a it's a good thing. And it was like. Uh, and, I, and I hope this is true for our listeners as well. It was like continuing education. It was going back to college. A, a good example here was Ken Brewer, who was uh, a much-beloved professor of English at Utah State University for many, many years. Uh, 
and he would uh, bring writers in to present to the university and the English program some wonderful writers, and he would always set time in the schedule for that person to come over here. And um, and I think between the guests that he was bringing, we had a chat or two because he is a truly interesting, smart, insightful person. And then uh, he became Utah's third poet laureate. Uh, the first one was... I'm 65 uh, yeah, years old. Uh, David Lee David was in there. Lee David Lee was, was in there. Yes. And then Leslie Norris, who uh, came from BYU, a wonderful Welsh man who had this wonderful accent, and then and then Ken Brewer. And so he his job description was to promote poetry in the state of Utah. And uh, he did that with a lot of original writing and, and uh, poetry and I'm not, what, do you have a date on when this yes, conversation was uh, recorded? January of 2003. He had, he had just been appointed okay. the Poet Laureate. So that was the occasion. I have no idea what exactly is coming up in this segment, as I totally forgot the Gore Vidal stuff. Yeah, right. But uh, does it need any introduction? Uh, I think it's just that he's, he's just been appointed, and uh, we're going to hear some of his poetry. And then uh, you guys get to talking about David Lee. Ah, Okay. And uh, and about the purpose of poetry. So a good conversation. This is a segment from Lee Austin's interview with uh, former Utah Poet Laureate uh, Ken Brewer from January of 2003. You say you have a little bestiary you're working on. I, uh, I used uh, the bestiary of uh, Marie de France, a medieval author, as my model. And uh, in her bestiary, uh, she would write uh, first some characteristics of an animal, uh, behavior and description and so forth, and then turn that into something to do with humans, usually some kind of uh, uh, religious message, you know, that uh, how we should behave uh, either like this animal or not like this particular animal as a way of giving us sort of uh, moral and, and ethical lessons. Um, I'm doing a somewhat similar thing in, in that I'm, I tend to be more on side of the animals than I am the humans, though I'm afraid. So it's, uh, my bestiary is a little different, but uh, not entirely different. It's still full of those kinds of messages, I think, uh, about behavior, for instance. I can read a couple of those, I yeah. think. Okay, this one's entitled, uh, Why Dogs Stop Flying. This is the this one I meant to read. <laughs> at the Poet Laureate uh, uh, press conference. Yes. Uh, Before humans, dogs flew everywhere. Their wings of silky fur wrapped hollow bones. Their tails wagged like rudders through wind. Their stomachs bare to the sullen earth. Out of sorrow for the first humans stumbling, crawling, helpless and cold. Dogs folded their great wings into paws, soft enough to walk beside us forever. They still weep for us, pity our small noses, our unfortunate eyes, our dull teeth. They lick our faces clean, keep us warm at night. Sometimes they remember flying and bite our ugly hands. Um, 
that that's the sort of thing I I like to do with these uh, little bestiary poems. Uh, when I first wrote that poem, I thought no, that's a fairly far fetched poem. But since that discovery the of the flying dinosaur, flying dinosaur in China, <laughs> who knows? I'm, you know, I'm beginning to wonder. <laughs> this one's entitled "The Tarantula Hawk." Not a hawk at all. The blue and orange wasp hovers above desert milkweed, dips its legs into the milky hoods where Polynia weep for love, and latch on to those thin limbs for a whirling lift away to be dropped like Ophelia into another milky stream, a dream of flight, an explosion of pollen. All the while, we drive in our machines, Stop at desert inns to sleep, sometimes joining wet and heavy upon dark beds, our thin skins glistening, our wings and hoods, petals, sepals, pistol, stamen. There is such a thing, tarantula hawk? Yeah, but it's, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's a wasp. No. <laughs> it's, it's the only problem. <laughs> it's a big one. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting creature. This one's um, called Scarlet Penstemon, and I've dedicated this to Keith Wilson. Uh, I'll take a moment to, to talk about Keith. I wouldn't be sitting here right now without <laughs> having run into Keith Wilson years ago. Uh, he was my mentor at uh, New Mexico State when I was a student there studying uh, British literature as part of my master's degree. Uh, and I hadn't written poetry before that, um, except, you know, school assignments and things of that nature. So I went to a poetry reading that Keith gave, and I guess it was really the first reading I'd ever been to of a living poet. And I was really excited. I mean, that was great. I didn't know you could do that with poetry because, I, of course, I'd been studying British poetry <laughs> all of that time. Uh, and so I started writing, and I and I started taking my poems to Keith, and uh, uh, he became my mentor. I never took a, uh, an official class from him, but uh, um, for two years I would take poems to him, and he would give me some feedback and give me something to read and lead me by the hand. And uh, uh, and I was hooked. And that uh, he helped me get my first poem published in a little magazine in Oregon. Uh, and that was so exciting to, to see my work in print. And that was it. I, uh, the rest of my life. <laughs> uh, so I, I this poem is for Keith called Scarlet Penstemon. Bees can't see red, but hummingbirds can. So the scarlet penstemon curls its lower lip, picks its lover as certain as Cleopatra picked Caesar. In the southern Utah summer, in the late afternoon of long shadows shimmering, the scarlet penstemon pouts, and oh, sweet Jesus, to be a broad-tailed Hummingbird Den. So that's the kind of thing. Yeah, that's the kind of thing Excellent. I'm doing yeah. with uh, with these poems. Anyhow, if one or two people tuned in haven't figured this out yet, we're speaking with Ken Brewer, <laughs> who was named Friday to be the new uh, poet laureate for the state of Utah. 
You're in it for five years. They don't pay you to do it. No. They cover your costs, though. You get to travel, and maybe they'll get you that video setup that you'd, well, you'd I like to hope. take around. Uh, I hope so, yeah. You may discover some uh, writers you weren't even aware of. Oh, I'm sure I will. Uh, I look forward to that. Um, well, that, that's that's going to be part of the fun of the job. You know, I thought that David Lee might be controversial when I found out that he was named Poet Laureate. I mean, he writes in the rural vernacular, which has uh, mm-hmm. words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't think that happened. No, I don't think so. I, my sense of that has been that language, uh, when it's appropriate to the situation, doesn't offend people. The thing that I, th- I believe offends people sometimes is language that doesn't seem to be appropriate to the situation. But when uh, when most audiences understand that the language is a fabric of the context, that, that the language is so essential to uh, the context of, of a work, then I think that diffuses some of the problems. So they didn't... Uh tell you that now, as Poet Laureate, you're going to have to watch around the edges some of your work. You don't want it to be no. too controversial. No, I, th- I think they trust us to uh, use our good judgment with that. Um, I've got poems that uh, have words in them. That have words in them. Uh, I call them my out-of-state poems. Uh, I, want, I know my audience when I read, or at least I try to know my audience when I read, and I try to work with that audience. Uh, uh, the last thing I want to do is offend an audience, but there are, there are situations in which uh, you know the, Dave and I both write about characters. In other words, we create characters in our books and we tell stories in our books. And you now, if you've got a Southern Utah pig farmer who's having trouble loading a boar, what it, do you expect that pig farmer to say? If the language is a bit colorful. Uh, I don't think we should be surprised. I'm not going to please everybody, I guess, but uh, I hope it <laughs> please a lot of people. But there again, that's not the, necessarily the job description. Uh, no, I don't to think so. To go out and make people feel happy. Uh, no, it's the... It's not the poet's job. You know, I don't, I don't have to make people feel happy. I think I have to make them feel, though. But mainly, I think I, the, the job is to encourage the arts, uh, especially the literary arts, to... Uh, champion the literary arts in Utah, uh, do whatever I can to promote uh, literary arts in Utah. And that's what I hope to be able to do. Ken Brewer, it's, it's great to hear his voice. I, yeah. I, I never knew him that well. You, you had a chance to interview him. And, and know yeah, him well. two, two things come to mind. Of course, the he developed pancreatic cancer, and instead of... Uh, Hiding, uh, he wrote very publicly about it, and um, and then he ultimately succumbed. But he was, um, I think, he got to read poetry on CBS, on one of the network programs, and uh, I'd visit him many times, and that was um, a, pr- a difficult but um, a memorable uh, time. The other thing I remember, and we were talking about Dave Lee, um, we used to, we being the radio station, it's funny, I haven't worked here uh, for a long time. I still say we. Uh, but we used to have annual fundraisers in Torrey at Cafe Diablo. 
called the Dinner Diablo. That's right. You, you That's were right. there. Went down uh, a couple times, yeah. So one year as guests, we had Ken Brewer and Dave Lee. Oh, and they took turns reading. And wow. That, that was, uh, yeah, that was something I'll remember. And and again, as I was saying earlier, as we're encouraging fund fundraising during uh, the first day of, of UPR's fund drive, uh, I think of listening to public radio as a continuing education. And you learn things and uh, pick up insights, and um, hopefully that's worth something. Uh, it is our fun drive. You picked well. That that was that segment was, uh, yeah, um, a long time ago. But yeah, but I I remember that well. So we had a a, a listener challenge of five hundred dollars, and I understand we've met the goal. Wow. Okay. Great. That's wonderful. We have some people uh, to acknowledge, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Julie Simon in Cedar City. Uh, boy, it's been a long time. Julie used to work at the Herald Journal. In Logan, if memory serves correct, and then she got a job on the faculty at SUU. So Julie has pledged and writes, I continue to be grateful for your sharp and brave reporting on Access Utah and your commitment to providing accurate and objective news at all levels. I also greatly appreciate the diversity of your program. Also, many thanks for carrying jazz. This is something fairly that's, recent. That's Steve right. Williams on Sunday nights. Yeah, we've had uh, jazz time with Steve Williams. We've uh, like about a year now, a year and a half or something, we've we've had that on. Yeah, uh, he's fun to listen to. Yeah. Uh, so thank you, Julie Simon in Cedar City. And then uh, Denise Conver in North Logan. Denise was listening to Access Utah and heard about the fun drive and wants to help. She loves UPR, and it just keeps getting better and better, she says. So that would be a compliment to you. Not to me. Well, and uh, <laughs> and to you because uh, you your support <laughs> makes it all possible. Um, Lee and I could not have the fun that we have on this program without your support. One eight hundred eight two six one four nine five. Unless you're listening to our evening replay, in which case, or now you can just go online. As many people, I guess most pledges now come online. Uh, UPR dot org. UPR.org or 800-826-1495. Just because the system challenge has been met, thank you, by the way, um, doesn't mean you can't keep oh, the momentum no, no, going. No, no, no. And, we uh, could maybe set a record for Access Utah. And if we do, maybe we'll get that long-prized Access Utah mug. <laughs> or a T-shirt or, or so, a, something. a tote bag. Something. Something, something that yes. says Access Utah. That's right. Well, let's uh, take a break. When we come back, we will hear a portion of an interview uh, Lee Austin did a special on Ac uh, on Capitol Reef National Park. More following this break. Hey, it's Luke Burbank. This week on LiveWire, Kelly McEvers on breaking some surprising news to her new boss at NPR, who was sending her to Baghdad. He offers me the job, and I'm like, sure, sure, put the contract in the mail, I sign it, and then I tell him. I'm like, there's something you need to know. I have a baby, and he was like, a what? Don't miss it. This week on LiveWire from PRI. Join us Saturday night at 5 on Utah Public Radio. This week on Invisibilia, we have a story about how my 74-year-old mom wants to jump out of an airplane. All right, guys, I'm going to start getting loaded on the train. I'm so excited. And a reality TV show trying to fight terrorism with music. Somebody can walk in with a, with a grenade. Somebody can walk in with a gun. I'm Hannah Rosen. Join us for a look into how the stories we tell ourselves can alter our reality. Join us tomorrow morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. 
She's culture research. Hello. <laughs> We're back. We're back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you caught that, Lee. Live, live radio yeah. is always exciting, as you know. I was thinking of one Access Utah we did uh, many years ago. Uh, we had a live interview with the governor uh, from, it was the boardroom, um, and they promised us that we'd have a half hour to set up all our gear. This was before we had the Internet device, and we were searching for a phone line. And uh, a meeting went long. We couldn't get in there till five minutes before the broadcast. And we ran in. Cliff Smith was with me. And we were madly pulling phone lines out of phone jacks and triggering every security alarm in the Capitol. We were uh, instantly uh, visited by <laughs> Capitol security. And we were still minutes away from the the yeah. interview. Uh, yeah. You know, live radio is does have that uh, tension it, in it, it. Uh, it does <clears throat> the upside is there you know there's um there's something special about being live so yeah uh, sometimes embarrassing like sometimes talking embarrassing. about <laughs> a guest uh when your mic's open and you, uh, you're not aware that's of that's right and we were talking about lee kreutzer who we we're going to hear from next um you, you did a special on capitol reef i did a special on every national park in the state of utah and if this is the one i'm thinking it was, it was timed to go with the uh, Ken Burns uh, PBS documentary yes, series yes. on the, the National Parks, America's Greatest Idea. And so a couple of those I think were live. Mostly I roamed around uh, with, with a tape recorder and visited with someone in, at each of our five national parks. Um, and again, you know, I get paid to do that. What, yeah. a, what a what an amazing <clears throat> thing to think of. Yeah, and uh, then you ended up in the area. Yeah, uh, well, uh, I I, <laughs> I stayed in in every bed and breakfast and most every motel or hotel uh, in the Torrey Capital Reef area, and now I'm lucky enough to have a place yeah. to live down there. Very beautiful place. <clears throat> well, let's hear this. This uh, was, uh, as you uh, rightly remembered, uh, time to coincide with Ken Burns' uh, documentary. First part of this program, you were interviewing uh, someone on the, uh, the the orchard there at Fruta, and uh, right, and then there was a, a brief interview on geology, I believe, and then this this, this interview um, ended the program. Um, so let's uh, use Spencer. Let's use the short version, and uh, may not have time for all of it. We may have to fade out of it, but we'll hear most of this uh, segment. Uh, Lee Austin uh, conversation about Capitol Reef National Park. Lee Kreutzer is a cultural resources specialist and archaeologist in the National Park Service office in Salt Lake City. Earlier, she worked for 10 years at Capitol Reef National Park. The earliest radiocarbon dates we have right now for Capitol Reef date to about 5500 B.C. They, they would have been archaic people, not anybody that we know of as a particular tribe, and that culture gave way to the Fremont people, which is what Capitol Reef is mostly known for. Um, again, the radiocarbon dates for that period um, in the park, the earliest date to about uh, A.D. 250 and the latest to about 1200 A.D. There's great rock art. Yes, there is, and that spans the whole range of uh, human occupation. As far as we know it, um, there's, uh, there's rock art that dates to the archaic, time there and uh, a lot of it the the most popular rock art the pe the rock art that people know about is the Fremont rock art and there's a lot of that right there in the Fremont River Canyon where people can stop and visit that are there any structures 
No, um, there there aren't. Um, well, there are granaries, but about all that's left anymore are some very shallow um, pits, uh, just shallow depressions actually that might or might not be rimmed with rocks that that mark the uh, existence of what once were pit houses, Fremont pit houses. The Fremont were long gone before the first pioneers um, arrived in the Fremont River Valley, but there were Paiute people there, um, not necessarily right there in Fruta. It's hard to know because they moved around um, and the, the people who settled there in the 1880s didn't mention them, but we do know that they were up in the Bicknell area um, on that end of the county and they probably did use the park as well. The first Mormons that entered the area um, were Mormon militiamen who were involved in uh, chasing Indians <laughs> during the Black Hawk War, and, and they came into that water pocket fold area in about 1865. Um, so that was their first incursion, and, and it's kind of ironic that um, the Indians who were resisting their presence actually led them into that area. Um, they were escaping with cattle down the uh, the gorge there. So the militia followed them in, and uh, not too long after that, five or six years later, the Mormons were bringing cattle in there, and, and some of the earlier Wayne County settlements were, were being populated um, by by the 1870s, um, mid-1870s, and then later um, down into Fruta by 1880. The first people who, who put down roots, what period? In Wayne County, uh, about 1875, and extended into Fruta by 1880, so that period. That was a pretty remote place. Yes, it was, and it still is. It's it's hard to picture how difficult that was um, to make a living there. The the settlers had to, of course, grow their own their own food and support themselves, and that's very difficult country to uh, do that in. It's, it's not prime agricultural country. There's a little strip along the river that you can irrigate, and then there's the dry lands that you can graze. And it was a hard scrabble life. Um, there's a reason why Tory was originally called Poverty Flat. It never did grow much. No. Um, by the 1930s, there were maybe 110 people there, so 8 to 10 families. Now we go in and see what a spectacular place it is. I'm not sure, trying to eke out a living, how much they were able to appreciate the visual beauty. But eventually some people started thinking that this would be a, a landscape that would attract people. I think that they did appreciate it. Um, it. It is a beautiful place. Many of the early settlers thought of it as a kind of paradise, despite the hard work that, that living there... Oh, you just you you picked that out to to make me happy. Hearing people talk about uh, my neck of the woods. That's right, Kapler National Park, and uh, we've had a great Wayne County response uh, so far today. Might have some to do with the fact that uh, you've been on, Lee. Thank you so much. And uh, Don Gomes was in earlier, and uh, some great Wayne County people. One eight hundred eight two six fourteen ninety five. That number works all day. If you're listening in the evening, go online at upr.org. Help make the first day of the fun drive uh, successful. We and, and thanks to those of you who did call. We met our five hundred dollar challenge. Thank you so much. We uh, we appreciate it uh, so much. So eight hundred eight two six one four nine five eight hundred eight two six one four nine five or upr.org. And we never got to talk about the Access Utah segment that we hosted together. We, for have, a few a, we years. have about a minute. Let's do that. Open <laughs> forum. 
<laughs> open for the idea was originally you're going to have opposing points of view. Yes, we're going to fight, we're going to argue, fight on, argue on the air and and address the news of the day. That's right, which which we did, and um, we were kind of trolling for phone calls. Uh, usually had the the same suspects on, but most amazingly was the fact that. Uh, we had a hard time disagreeing. We did. That became originally was so. I think we even sort of flipped a coin in the in the you know play devil's advocate if we're on the other yeah, side. Yeah. Eventually, we just decided to. to <laughs> <laughs> what 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 did one listener call us? Yeah. Uh, Tweedledee and Tweedledum Flip or something. And or flop. Fl- fl- yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we got some criticism because we were both we're kind of on the same wavelength yeah. politically, and we we just uh, it was an experiment. It went for a couple of years. There were a few things that were surefire. Uh, we, for a while, we talked about potato guns, Jello, a uh, Jello. Uh, phones would light up, <laughs> and, and then if we had a hot topic politically, then the phones would light up. Yeah. Some days, no no calls at all. Yeah, just us agreeing with each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's been fun. Thanks, Lee, for coming in. Thanks so much, and uh, it's it's been great to to hear some of the great work, great foundation for the program. We hope to continue that. Uh, absolutely, and that's why we do fundraise. or upr.org. And thank you. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. Heard on KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan. Also heard online at upr.org.